Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome into Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network and um, have your, I wish I would sing, Ralph, but I'm not (laughs) singing Christmas carols and because of my father and he loved Christmas so much that when I hear Silent Night, I cry for three days. So, uh, <laughs> uh, welcome in, big guy. Merry Christmas and uh, Merry Christmas. Yes, yeah. Hope you, uh, hope you had a great weekend and, and getting ready to the new year. Are you kidding me? Where did 2022 and we're still fighting COVID and we're still watching games? I mean, Ralph, it's 2022 almost. I mean, it, it, I mean, time flies, Mac. I mean, the great Christmas and you know, as always, but. Uh, you know, we were just talking about two years ago, this time of year, where were we at? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, COVID had started a little bit, but we didn't hear much about it. And then come, you know, mid-January, February, out the All-Star Games, then things blew up. And that's two years ago. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that was, Mac, that was UVA winning the national title of the year before, going into this year, and then getting the ACC tournament campus. That's two, I mean, time flies when you're having fun, right? So... Uh, it's kind of crazy. Time yeah, and and the you know rescheduling games, NFL games, NBA games. Now we're back to cancellation. I don't want to put a. This is a, a great weekend. I don't want to put a, a cloud over our our Christmas weekend. But it's yeah, it's it just doesn't feel right yet. But hey, keep thinking. You know that positive attitude, and we'll hopefully uh, get out of this. Hey, a, a great great show today, and I've I, I've titled it the three gifts. Okay, inspirational messages from people, places, and perseverance with three of our, I don't know, we've had a ton of great guests, but I, but today, how about this lineup? Bud Foster, John Grisham, and Mike Haynes, formerly of the Raiders. You like yeah, that lineup? All of them have been fun to do. I mean, every show we do is different and fun, but those three, I think, are special. So yeah. that's a good type, great title three gifts. So you guys out there, you you in for a treat. Yeah, because Bud Bud was so great talking about everything from young people to recruiting to college athletics to nil. It was so good. But Bud Bud was always about young people, and that's why um you know we we're gonna play these segments that that meant so much to us. And then of course our good friend John Grisham. And what he meant to, and what he has meant to the 
to the book world to, and you know educational world and his book Suli, New York Times bestseller, bestseller book. You know, yeah. And uh, and and why he chose Charlottesville, and then of course Mike Haynes and what Mike has meant to uh, to really football now and football people now, but even more fighting, you know, men fighting prostate cancer and the message that Mike had. So we put this together, Ralph and I, to say Merry Christmas, basically, to give three gifts, center court, three packages under your tree. How about that? <laughs> Are they wrapped? And they, we got to wrap them with a bow on it, so it's good. Yeah, we had so many people that that have been so great. But anyway, get ready, sit back, enjoy three gifts on center court. We'll be right back. Stay with us. The mission for the Samson Family Foundation is simple. We strive to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. The Samson Family Foundation encourages limitless possibilities. Your financial support is tax deductible. To learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is samsonfamilyfoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Once again, here's Ralph and Mac. It's Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. It's our three gifts, and our first gift that we're going to unwrap is Bud Foster. Bud, the uh, 35 years in athletics, the award-winning uh, defensive coordinator, Ralph, with uh, Virginia Tech and all he's meant to college athletics. And boy, did he have a lot of great things to say about young people. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't get any better than Bud Foster, you know, especially in the college sports world. And the things he mentioned to us, Mac, in the show we did with him were amazing. And it was started this whole, you know, NIL and main image and like it and his feelings about it in college football, college sports. So great, great show. And this segment is going to be amazing to hear again. Yeah, it's fun to listen to Bud Foster talking about everything from nil to paying players, to the players that they recruit, and what college athletics can mean to families. Here's Bud Foster. As I, as I go through all this in my career and dealing with young people, uh, obviously we're in the business. I mean, it's, our livelihood is to win football games. When you get, as you know, as you get to big-time athletics, your livelihood is to win football games. But uh, your mission is to develop young people to be the best that they can possibly be. And uh, I really felt like that was, if, if we could get gain people's trust, their loyalty, um, understand what our expectations were and to get them to buy in and to be all in, then I do think kids, even though times have changed, I don't know if kids have changed. They, they all wanna have a little bit of discipline. They all wanna have a little bit of direction. They all want to, know what it takes to be successful. Not everybody buys in, though, to, to being successful. I personally think the biggest challenge we have in today in coaching 
is the internet and yeah. is social media and not so much the kids um, as it is maybe the parents even uh, and people out outside of the I mean they have their circle but when you start getting into the true player coach relationship um, and the play and, and then the the expectations within that true inner circle that's even a smaller circle when you start getting into um, you know at this level it's not a participation sport anymore you know what I mean it's right. it's a true performance industry but it's still a true people industry but getting that you know the, the those players still I do think once you have that true trust and belief and knowing that you know, if this coach has his true best interest, your best interest at heart, you can, you'll do anything. That loyalty, I mean, that's earned. That loyalty and trust is earned. And in both, it's a two-way street, though, as, as yeah. we as coaches have to earn the players' trust and loyalty, and, and they have to earn ours. But uh, I do think, you know, the playing time, those kind of things that go on, particularly in the day and age of the portal, um, you know, I think that's more family driven than it is player driven, because I think there's such expectations from the media with all these now with the ratings and the star systems and this and that. And and, you know, you played at the highest level at the college game and at the in, NBA. There is a fine line between winning and losing. And there's a fine line between uh, one player having success and not. And there's some guys that don't have nearly as much talent that become some of the best athletes you've ever been around the most talented guys that are around and and that's they have that grit or determination that those instincts there's some guys that are extremely instinctive and there's some guys that are extremely talented that you know do not have the instincts or don't have the work ethic or don't have um some of the qualities that you're looking for you know and you got to try as coach that's the thing that's about it. you try to want to pull that out of them and then but that's the unique thing i think I think um, coaching hasn't changed a whole lot. I do think how you handle young people is, I think they're, they're much more aware and smarter than we were, you know, <laughs> back in our day and, yes. and, and not as naive maybe in how you're being handled. Um, but I do think it, to, you know, in a long story short, I do think kids still desire and crave uh, to be pushed to, to be pushed to be the best that they can be, but also to do it by people who really care and have their best interests at heart. But I do think the biggest battle right now is the outside, the people that don't know. And that's not what I've always told our kids. I know you're, I don't, I'm not saying this in a negative way about your family. I would say it about my own. They don't know that they don't know. And <laughs> because the people that do know are the ones that are doing the work every day and are together every day and are, you know, and are impacted every day with the interaction. And I think that's probably the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest um, uh, drawing the line, so to speak, in, in today's athlete as it was posed maybe years ago. We didn't have that internet. We didn't have that right. social media that they were, people were blowing so much smoke up a guy, uh, you know, or a student athlete's tail that have never even taken a snap at, at college football, or even the, in, like in the, in pro in pro sports, you get these guys that are first round draft picks and don't get me wrong. I mean, those guys are really talented and that type of thing, but we've all known there's that first round draft pick. It's the same as a five-star athlete. That doesn't guarantee they're going to be successful, you know, and doesn't guarantee that, or, or <laughs> do they deserve that 
big time contract that, uh, you know, they're getting without ever, you know, put the ball on the floor or, you know, or, you know, tying up their shoestrings. Bud, can you imagine a recruiting service in 1978 saying that Ralph was a three-star? And oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. He's too skinny. Won't be able to yeah. play. Can't handle yeah. it. Yeah. Is, is he, is he going to be durable enough? You know, is he going to be pushed around? I mean, those yeah. kind of things. Yeah. I mean, we'll be good. But are, I mean, yeah. And who are they to say, I mean, what, what credibility, I mean, I don't, don't get me wrong. I know some of those organizations are really good. And some of the people that are evaluating, but they're not evaluating every player, you know, it's just, to me, it's just, it's not fair to the kids they're just selling product you know when it's all mm -hmm. said and done and 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 i will say this the good programs the good staffs you know they're really big into evaluating people and not buying into the star system you know and and you know unfortunately the alumni base kind of gets caught up in all that stuff Absolutely. too and, and that's that's a big part of it though but that's we built our program not on four and five star guys we built our program on you know those guys that were blue collar and hard nosed and they were good football players. They were good enough. They were big enough. They were, but they had that, you know, we were able to buy in and, and find those guys that had that grit, that want to, that, yeah. you know, those uh, instinctive, hard-nosed, tough guys, you know, that that's what it still comes down to when you put the ball down. It, it, it takes those kind of people to win. And the new NCAA rules that players now can get paid through their social media. Yeah. And it's like the biggest crave now in college world of sports some, some players can make a lot of money through their social media and advertisement. I have my opinion that should college players be paid? My opinion would be that they should be paid the same as a normal student could be paid when they get a job at a restaurant, $10, $15 an hour, equate that number of hours that they'll get a fair, just like a student athlete, not just an athlete. What's your opinion about those new rules today with this social media stuff going on? Cause I think it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I tell you what, I probably got out at the right time when it's all said and done dealing with all these new rules and regulations that the guys are getting ready to go through. I do, I, you know, the, the, there's this part of paying the student athletes and, and they do do a service for the universities. This is just my opinion. They do do a service. I mean, you know, our program is a $100 million program. You know, it's and it's, it's um, you know, and those guys put a lot into it, invest a lot into it, but they are getting a, you know, a several hundred thousand dollar degree out of this thing. And it's kind of what they make out of it. And we're doing, we're trying to do things the right way. You get money, the cost of attendance, which I, I'm for that. I, I you know, I, I, you see some kids that come from area, from backgrounds that they don't have much. And, you know, this gives them an opportunity, you know, the, the opportunity for, to, and, you know, make money off their likeness and some of those things. I think those are, are good, but I would like to see a regulation on it. I mean, there are places I'm obviously Blacksburg, Virginia and Charlottesville, Virginia is different than Los Angeles, California, or, you know, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, or Miami, Florida. I mean, from the opportunities to, you know, get your likeness out there and, and generate some revenue for yourself and for your family, however that may be. Um, you know, so I do think there needs to be a, a bottom line number, so to speak. That's my opinion, you know, just the same with the cost of attendance. I know it, you know, at Virginia Tech and at Virginia, they're very similar, but you take a, a student athlete in Georgia at Georgia Tech make can make 
about two or three thousand dollars less and you think that market would be a higher market but they can make two or three thousand dollars less than what is offered at virginia tech or you wow. take somebody at auburn university and alabama who they're big rivals but i know at auburn they can make about two or three thousand dollars more i don't know how that formula comes across but that becomes a a big recruiting tool you know from a you know you start talking a kid can you know, is that a postgraduate number, but but is that, that a postgraduate number? You no, know? that is a cost of attendance number. Oh, cost of know? attendance. Cost of attendance yeah. yeah, and I, you know, and, the, and each school is a little different in their formula and all those kind of things. But my opinion is this: it just make it a bottom line across the, you know, a, across the, the the country where and I and it, it to make it an even an even playing field for everybody involved. I mean, I, you know, it is a it is a competition. It, you know, I'm talking from a recruiting standpoint, particularly. Mm -hmm. It is a competition that, you know, and it should be as even across the board as possible. Now, where can you make a difference is, yeah, what kind of facilities do you have? What kind of resources do you have for your academic advising and all those kind of things? And, and that's really when it comes down to it, that should be the difference in where you go to a program or not. Is it the people that you have you feel like has your best interest at heart to develop you to be the best person you can possibly be on and off the field and prepare you for the rest of your life. It shouldn't be just by somebody offering you a couple thousand more dollars a year right. when it's all said and done. I really think it needs to be more even across the board. And let's put it back into the 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 the, the, you know, the hands of the players and the families when it goes back to who do they trust as far as the coaching. And it shouldn't be all the the little things that, and I know it, there's hidden things here and there, you know, across the country where I'm not naive enough to say that that goes on, but I, I think we need to eliminate those things and, and make, if we want it to be a professional industry, then we need to go one route. If we want to help them, which I do think they deserve um, some, some benefits, I think we should make it even across the board. Ralph, you think Bud Foster's got his, head in the right place and his heart in the right place uh very inspirational to college athletics and to, to families and to, and to kids i mean special coach mac uh I, mean, I can kind of emulate that in my mind with coach Berge, coach holland coach mm -hmm. leonega coach odom coach pay i mean all the coaches i've had don nelson you know you, you can tell certain people were made for what they do and he was definitely made for uh the college football world The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball star Ralph Sampson. Again, here's Ralph and Mac. It's Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network, and we're in the middle of our three gifts, inspirational messages about people, places, and perseverance. You get a chance to talk to John Grisham quite a bit, right? Courtside at uh, Virginia basketball games? Yeah, my guy, you know, courtside of games I see them but if Virginia wins we have a good conversation <laughs> if they lose then they everybody walks off early and like okay the game was bad so it's like pretty funny between Phil Wendell John and, the, and the Paul Manny John Gallagher. doesn't like, want to talk to you he don't want to talk losses I mean he, and he's very a passionate guy man. I mean he you know he you, you can tell why he's good and great at what he does he understands the game of sports basketball is one of his passions baseball is another one but it's funny to see when we lose and how everybody reacts, and but when we win, everybody's really happy. Yeah. How much did you enjoy his New York Times bestseller, Suli? 
I, I think it's one of his best books, you know, because, no, you know, related, uh, related to the game and sports, whatever. I think it's one of his best books. Now, hopefully that will come become a movie. I'm sure it's, if they feel good about it, it will. Yeah, and you can't play Suli because you're too tall. We've I'm too tall, yeah. yeah we've already figured that. that out. I can, it, I can watch from, the, from afar. But Charlottesville has meant a lot to the John Grisham family. And Suli, this basketball book, meant a lot to him, too, that he wrote during COVID when basketball was canceled. Enjoy our second gift and a great conversation with John Grisham. Ralph, you know, it's funny how life works out. None of it was planned. We were living in Oxford, Mississippi, where we're from. We went to school at Ole Miss. I went to law school there. Renee was an undergraduate for a couple of years. We got married in Oxford 40 years ago, 1981. And uh, we were very happy in Oxford in 1991, 30 years ago when the firm came out. And uh, life changed dramatically real fast for us. And, and we, were, we were extremely happy and thrilled to be going through uh, this once in a lifetime experience. We, we wanted to get away. We found the need, we lost a lot of privacy and we wanted to get away and find some place for one year to kind of regroup because the year was 1994. Our kids were, Ty was 11, Shay was eight. And so we wanted to go somewhere where we didn't know anybody and live the quiet life, put our kids in a different kind of school and just, you know, hide for a year. And we, we'd, we'd been to Charlottesville one time uh, to go to Monticello and, and, uh, and see some of the sites around here. Really like central Virginia. And so we bought this old house 10 miles south of Charlottesville out in the country and moved there in August of 1994, uh, again, to stay for one year, just to, just to, to run away. And, uh, you know, we realized quickly it's, it's a very nice place to live. And one year became two and three and four, and we stopped talking about going home. And now that was 27 years ago. And our son went to UVA. Our daughter went to UNC down the road. And uh, we love Charlottesville, love Central Virginia because of all the obvious assets, uh, all the pluses here. UVA is a huge factor because it brings in world-class athletics and arts and concerts and academics and, you know, a, a very, very diverse uh, population. We, we like college towns. My wife discovered horses about the first year we were here. It's a serious horse country. Anyway, just all it became a very, and, and, and really great schools. And so we, uh, to, for us, it's, it's just a, it's a perfect size for a town. Charlottesville is not too big, not too small, but it has a lot to offer. And uh, so again, 27 years have gone by and we ain't leaving. We meet, we meet Suley. He's a, uh, he's a six foot two uh, non-shooting point guard. <laughs> and uh, by the time the story takes, a, takes place over the course of one year and he's 17 when we meet him. And when the story's over, he's, uh, he's turned 18. And he's six foot eight, so he grew six inches. What's your record, uh, Ralph, for the most inches you grew in one year? And I was grew was four inches, uh, four to four, five okay. inches in one, one, one whole year. But it's almost like a David Robinson story, right? He, he went to uh, the academy. He was a six, three, six, four. Wow. No kidding. No kidding. It's a terrific book. And, uh, you know, naturally, it's easy to ask, why a basketball book and, and, and why now? Why haven't you done a basketball book? Because you're such a fan why haven't you done a basketball yeah. book before now? Didn't have a story. I've written uh, two football novels. Uh, the first was Bleachers 20 years ago. Playing for Pizza was about 15 years ago. Uh, loved baseball. Waited waited for the baseball novel. Finally did Calico Joe about 10 years ago. 
and been waiting for the basketball story uh, for until now. And and with when it comes to stories, some ideas just appear. Uh, they drop down from the heavens, and there you go. Other <laughs> stories uh, take a long time to kind of uh, work on and work out the kinks, and most of them don't work. But you you know until you have the story, you can't just force things to happen. It's got you have to be inspired. And so um, a couple three years ago. I uh, read this great magazine article about uh, this team from South Sudan, mm-hmm. a team of 17-year-old kids coming to the U.S. in the summertime to play in the great big showcase tournaments against teams from around the world. And this one team from South Sudan just stole the show. Uh, they were they, they won all their games by big margins. They played just a ferocious brand of basketball. They were they were infectious with their enthusiasm and smiles, and the fans just loved them. And their coach was a good guy. Anyway, it was a great magazine article. And I thought that may be, that may be the setting for a, a good story. And that's kind of where it got started. And I, you know, pieced together other elements of the true stories that I've heard about over the years. And, and uh, finally I had, I was ready to go or almost ready. And a year ago when we, <laughs> when we were watching TV one night and we saw those unbelievable words, March Madness canceled, and I, you know, I thought that was illegal. You can't cancel March Madness, and uh, so suddenly we had no basketball, and that was sort of my motivation to start writing the basketball novel. I needed a basketball fix, so I started writing. How much did the UVA experience in, in, in your world, sitting on the front row watching the games, affect the book? Great question. Well, it affected, it affected me, Ralph, because it just really, in the last 10 years, we, we, we've been on the floor in the new JPJ, I think 13 years now, uh, it's such a, a you know a great place to watch basketball, and Absolutely. we were invited to take part in the initial uh, construction of JPJ, and we were happy to do that. So we got some good seats, and that changed everything. My wife Renee is a bigger fan than I am. She's a Tar Heel, <laughs> by the way. She loves the Who's, but she loves the Tar Heels, and just just being that, that close to the action and watching the games. And our son went to UVA, and we went to Minneapolis two years ago for that great yes, weekend up there, and. Well, you know, just uh, big fans of the Who's, big fans of the Heels. And, and so we just, we have basketball from December through March, basketball is very much a part of our lives, social lives. And we, yeah. uh, we do it with our kids between here and Chapel Hill. And yeah, we just, you know, and fell in love with Tony, Tony Bennett. And over the years, we've, we've fallen in love with the kids he brings in here. Tony brings in a certain class of players who stay four or five years sometimes and and right. learn his system, but they're, they're, they're quality kids they're class kids. And, um, four years ago, Mamadi showed up and he, uh, at first didn't, didn't play that much. He always had the big smile and, you know, oftentimes I wasn't sure what he was doing on the court, but Tony <laughs> brought him along beautifully. And, um, he became a real fan favorite and we, we'd love to watch Mamadi play. You know, he came from Guinea in Africa. And, um, so that was an inspiration for the book. We've had several players from Africa play here. Uh, they're all over college basketball, all over the NBA. And you know, there's some really ph- phenomenal players. All that kind of came together at one time for the novel. So two questions. How, how does a who and a heel mix match? I don't know if that's, that's, <laughs> the, that's the first time I've heard a who and a heel on the same, in the same sentence. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not easy. Uh, it, it's uh, my, my son went to UVA. My wife is went to UNC. My daughter was a Tar Heel. My daughter married a Tar Heel. She has since given birth to two small Tar Heels in Raleigh. And so we got plenty of Tar Heels. 
when when it things erupt <laughs> over dinner, I say, look, I went to Mississippi State. Okay, we don't do Sweet oh, yeah. Sixteen, so leave me out of it. I just you know I, I kind of straddle the fence and get, get kicked from both sides. Okay, so we see the, the wife control that side of, of stuff. Then going to going to North Carolina, and you favor with the hit with the with the who. So I see the rivalry now, and that house I'm sure is pretty cool when they play each other, right? Yeah, thank God we have no dookies in our house. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, do the old tobacco road thing. John Grisham is our guest on Center Court. John, the book, and getting back to Suli too, it just um, was so brilliant. And, and I've heard you talk about, you know, the ideas come in, but the way you combine the Sudanese conflict and what was happening there into a basketball book, I mean, you could probably tell the whole story about, but it just was, and again, you don't need to hear it from me, but it was brilliant the way the two stories go together in this book. Yeah, oftentimes when I write a uh a fun, I hope they're all fun and entertaining. They're supposed to be entertaining. My, that's my goal when I write a book is to entertain people. But oftentimes I'll uh, weave through a serious issue, whether it's normally it's something to do with the criminal justice or injustice system and, and problems we have there. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to sort of raise awareness uh, in this book to the plight of the refugees. We've all seen the refugees. We've all seen the pictures and the, the news clips, and we know things are terrible, but until you peel back the layers and get a little deeper into it, you really have no idea uh, how terrible it is. it's a humanitarian crisis we've never seen before on, in, in, in history. Mm-hmm. We have more uh, refugees today than, um, than any time in our, in our history, and the number is not going down. Uh, the Sudanese people, I think it's uh, two or three million now, are, are permanently displaced. They're living in these refugee camps in other African nations because they cannot go home and they're permanent, there's no home to go back to. And so I wanted to kind of walk the reader through a small glimpse of that. It doesn't take much to get a full picture of how bad things are. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of, a, that was the fun research. The basketball research was a lot of fun going back and forth, but you know, it's just kind of the art of storytelling. The weaving of, of, of <laughs> placing him at North Carolina Central was just such a great picture. It was such a great, yeah, you, he could have played anywhere. You know, you could have taken him to UVA and I think Virginia finally got in the book at 250 pages in or something. But I mean, you could have taken him so many places. I just thought, did you have a list of, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe when you were trying to say which school Suli would go to? Well, here's how it happened. Uh, keep, keep in mind when you first meet Suli in the summertime, he's with his uh, team from South Sudan. He's not a star. He's a good player, but mm-hmm. he's a developing. He's not, uh, he doesn't show well in the showcase tournaments. He's not really, really that highly recruited. In fact, nobody really is there to offer him a scholarship. And so, I, so I, that, that, that eliminate all your big schools. Your big schools were taken out of the picture with that. Mm-hmm. And so when, when bad things happen back home, Suli cannot go home. There's no home to go back to. Right. He's stuck here. And so he has to go to a smaller school with a spare scholarship. And yeah. a coach friend knows a friend knows a friend, and, and so that's that's one reason he we went to Central. Also, I couldn't resist the idea of having the other school in Durham play <laughs> <laughs> play Central, and Central does very well. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, we don't want to give it away. It's coming out now, Mac. It's coming out. Grisham said it best. You know, he had to, he had to get his basketball fix. And it was uh, it was Suli and man, I I love talking to him. I wish I had about six hours on an airplane with him uh, sitting next to me because I could talk to John Grisham all day. Well, man, tell me, you know, all the books he's done. It's about time he's done a basketball 
story because he's very passionate about it, as you can tell. So amazing book, Mac, and uh, fans out there, go get it, read it, and uh, you'll enjoy it. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Uplift, empower, educate. Welcome back at Center Court, Mac and Ralph, and uh, wishing you all the best this Christmas. We give you three gifts under the tree. You've heard from John Grisham, Bud Foster, and now a uh, former Raider. And no, not just because he's a Raider. Mike Haynes, <laughs> when, we, when we had a chance to, to visit with Mike, he had so much to say about, yeah, the game of football and his work ethic and how he loved the Raiders. But he loves even more now, Ralph, his message about prostate cancer, doesn't he? Well, I mean, you know, Mac, it's, it's hard to retire from a professional sport or anything, right? Mm-hmm. And then find that other passion to get there. Because in the story, right, he, like, he didn't know if he would die early or young. And now he wants to live to 125, right? right. So he's got that passion. And then he was able to take his com- competitive spirit, his motivation from sports, and to put it into life, which is a great story. I think it's one of the best ones we've done. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's certainly good. So Mike Haynes takes us inside of a disease and how to fight it, but also his passion for life. When you were with the Raiders, you had a couple of really good coaches, Tom Flores and, and Mike Shanahan that you talked about. Was it something about the organization and Al Davis who brought in free agents that always seemed to perform, but also the coaching staffs that you had with Oakland? Absolutely. I'd say um, probably the, 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 the best coach. I had a lot of good coaches in my lifetime, but I really enjoyed and I learned from each and every one of them. But Tom Flores was the one I, I think I learned the most from, um, at least as a pro. And it, it was, a lot of it was because he was really great at taking away pressure. Like I have this philosophy that nobody succeeds under pressure. When they feel the pressure, they don't succeed. Uh, and everybody goes, man, that was a pressure situation. But you ask him, you ask Ralph, he goes, there was no pressure. I just jumped up and threw it down. You know, uh, you know what I mean? There was no pressure there. Because if he feels pressure, then it's different. Like, you know, it's not the same. And so Tom Flores was the best, I think, at, at doing that. And I think it's because he played as a quarterback and he probably was always had to deal with pressure. He was always mm-hmm. in what people would consider pressure situations. And I used to tell people the biggest game I ever played in was not the Super Bowl. It was that AFC championship game to get to the Super Bowl. And like for me, it's like I knew I did not want to feel any pressure. So when we had practice, our last practice, Coach Flores, you know, called us all up. And and, uh, he says, well, guys, we had a good week of practice. And, uh, you know, we got another big game tomorrow. But, hey, we play in a lot of big games. You know, I'll see you at the hotel at six. I'm going, that's it? <laughs> that's it? The hotel at six? That's it? And then uh, later I realized, you know, that was really genius because if he would have gone through, like, we've played all year to get to this point, and, you know, guys have played injured and he's done this and done that to get to this, and he would have made that game the biggest game and such pressure on every single player. He didn't say that. He just, like, say, guys, Whenever anybody plays the Raiders, it's a big game. Yeah. Every time we suit up and go on the field, that's the biggest game that team might be having for the entire season, you know? And, um, and so I realized, wow, I learned a lesson there. You know, 
there is something you can do to remove the pressure, you know? Uh, and so Tom was really great at doing that. Uh, and the, the other thing he would do is he would discount a lot of negative things that might happen during the week, which would cause maybe a team to blow up. Like, um, I'm not going to mention names, but, I'll, just give you, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll give you a hint. He was a defensive back and one of my, one of my favorite guys. So he might be late for a meeting or something, you know? Uh, and, um, you know, I know that most coaches would just rip that guy for being late, you know, uh, like, what are you doing? How can you be late? You know? And, but, you know, Tom would say, what are you doing? You know, says, just get here on time. All right. And he didn't make a big deal out of it. And I like, wow. You know, because otherwise he would have, he might've been forced to say, I'm benching you. You're not right. starting, you know, saying stuff like that. And um, it didn't happen. And I just learned an awful lot from him. I'm so glad, you know, recently he was just inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And um, he's one of the guys that really helped me understand pressure more than anybody else. All the other coaches were, they, they didn't really deal with pressure um, the way that Tom did. And, I, and maybe we would have won more games if they had. Yeah, we would say in the NBA, pressure, pressure busts pipes, but it won't bust me. Because, you know, you, you get so built up. And, that, and then you also base the statement like Flores and there's these iconic teams. So the Raiders, the Steelers, Miami, the, the iconic team. Yeah. And I think the common thread, even life after sports, I can see it and can feel it when you're talking that, you know, I wake up in the morning. I want to be great that day after just making my bed, right? So not, <laughs> not every athlete is wired that way. I mean, I used to make my bed up in a hotel room, right? Because I want to be, everything got to be in order and I want to be the great. So I'm sure you have some of those little things that make you great. What, what are some of the things that when you wake up every day, you just mentioned, I want to live to 125. So that's in you somewhere. Where did that come from, number one? And what are some of those things you do even today that make you still a Hall of Fame person, not just a Hall of Fame football player? Well, I, you know, like there was always a lot of people just say, hey, I just want to live. I, I don't really care about this or care about that. I just want to live. Well, I can't do that. You know, I, I need to have a I need to have a real reason to live. Right. I need to have a real reason to work out, you right. know. And so, like, um, as an example, uh, as a pro football player and even as a college athlete, I was always working out. I was always in great shape. But when I retired, I said, you know, OK, I don't have to work out anymore. I'm not playing football anymore. And I, I gained like 25 pounds. Um, I didn't look like I gained 25 pounds. That's the amazing thing. But, but I felt like it when I would do different things with my kids and stuff. Uh, I learned that I should have never stopped working out. Right. You know, I should have continued forever. And, uh, and now I'm 68 years old, but I'm in really, really good shape because I really take my uh, living to 125 seriously. I don't just go there and just sit around and shoot the breeze. I'm working out hard. I'm getting stronger and uh, I'm, I'm not going to be competing. Um, and so, you know, I don't know. I, I feel very blessed to, to be around other people who are also interested in, in living a healthy life and health and wellness. Uh, and also I care about, I care about my teammates. I, um, you know, I, the information that I learned about health and wellness, I share it. Um, when I was a prostate cancer um, survivor and, and I found out I had prostate cancer, I became the spokesperson because I felt like most guys out there were just like me. You know, they, they just say, Hey, I'm, I'm in good health. I'm not going to go over there and find out if I'm, you know, have cancer or anything like that. If I get it, I get it. But once I was diagnosed with it, 
and like we found it early, I realized that my way of thinking needed to change. And if, if I thought that way, I'm sure there's other guys out there. You do know, you do want to know if you have it in the early stages when it's easily treatable. You know, you don't want to wait until it's like nothing you can do. This is it, man. You know, you got a year. That's it. No, you want to know when it's easily treatable uh, and, uh, and you can continue to live a long life. So I've already lived almost 14, 15 years past that. And I like I, I got another 50 to go. And I know we talked about it on our November thing, whatever, but uh, and I know Mac is a, a, a prostate survivor as well. But symptoms to I mean, Mac said he felt not didn't feel well. Some of yours were I mean, my dad's went through prostate stuff as well, had to see the chemo stuff and now. So I understand his health and wellness as well. But for people listening, you know, what is it that you feel? What made you go get checked, you know, at early stage? And what is that about? Well, there were, there were really a lot of symptoms that I had. I didn't know that I was having them. So when people would ask me, did you have any symptoms? I'd, I'd say no. And then after I became the spokesperson and I would talk to other guys that had the disease, I'd, I realized, wow, I guess I did have some of the symptoms. Like one symptom was I'd wake up and go to, you know, urinate in the middle of the night a lot, you know, several times. Um, and I didn't know if that was from prostate or from some other health issue because there are other issues like sleep apnea, like you might be waking up all the time in the middle of the night because you're, you know, of sleep apnea it may not have anything to do with prostate. But the one symptom that I think um, really raised a flag for me, and I hope no one gets offended by what I'm going to say here, I don't mean it to be that way, is it hurt to have an orgasm. And so it wasn't like I had sex every day of my life and I'm hurting, hurting, hurting. It was it was, uh, you know, and but when I did have it, it hurt. It hurt really bad. And um, I just felt like, well, maybe it's because it's been a while, you know, <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, and so I didn't I didn't like rush to the doctor when I had that situation. So when I later was um, talking to a doctor, he says, yeah, that was a symptom. You know, and, oh, I, I had no idea. Um, and um so that was a big one for me. And, and I, because it happened to me, I felt like a lot of guys might do that and have the same kind of a problem. So I started, when I was getting interviewed, I started talking about that and started telling people if, you know, that that could be a, a symptom of prostate cancer and you should go get that checked out. And I can't tell you how many guys have told me that they had the same symptom. Um, the, the one where you wake up in the middle of the night is pretty, pretty hard to, to tell because it could be something else. But, um, but you, you know, the best thing is to know your family history. Yep, yep. If, mm -hmm. if you know it runs in your family, then you're looking out for it. And I, I didn't know it ran in my family. I knew my grandfather died of some kind of cancer, but I didn't know what it was. And when uh, the doctor who, um, who had done my PSA test and everything, when he shared his, his findings with me, I, I, didn't, I realized I didn't know anything about prostate cancer. I didn't know anything about a lot of health issues as, as I learned afterwards. Uh, and I, I wish that our educational system, um, yeah. you know, would help us with those kinds of things so that we could know about our family history. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing that I learned in school that made me think about my health in, uh, in that way. Again, Ralph, of all the people that we talked to, we thought that was just a very inspirational message. Yeah, very inspirational for me. You know, with my dad going through stuff, knowing his family and friends going through that whole prostate stuff, but also cancer stuff as well. But and I, Mike, I've had people 
call us. And I think we had an email on that show as mm -hmm. well. Some fans called back and said it was the best show we've done. But inspirational, meaningful, impactful. And that's what we're all about. So I love that show. Yeah, pretty good. When we come back, Ralph and I get close to our New Year's resolutions. We get ready to ring in 2022. That's next on Center Court. This is the Winter Circle Network. To get into sports casting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one, Full Sail University. Great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back, Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. And uh, Stick, as I said, we, you know, we, we say goodbye to Christmas. We usher in 2022. And are you a New Year's resolution guy? Do you make them? A year ago, I didn't, but now I do. I, I always typically have a 20 to 30 day push in December. Like, let me get everything off my uh, table for the this year mm -hmm. and then bring in a new year with the slate clean and things that I need to do on my end to make 2022 better. But I think about it. I remember, I mean, every time I think about this 20s, 22, 20s, whatever it may be, 1999, when everybody thinks the world's going to stop because of the internet. In 1999, <laughs> we in 20, it's 22 years later. Can you imagine that? that that's, it's just crazy. It's 22 years later, how time flies by. But I guess the computer and the world would welcome 2022, just like they welcome 2000, right? I have to ask you this. When you were, I don't know, thinking about 2022, maybe August, September, October, you're starting to look ahead. Did you have any, any notion that your name would be on a restaurant and you'd be opening doors in February. Mike, I never, I, I, as I tell you, I don't ever imagine in my life, even back then that I think about it, to open up a restaurant. I probably could have back then, but I didn't, didn't think about that business right. plan. But it has more than a meeting in a restaurant now. That is in Charlottesville. It's close to John Paul Jones. It's in Bears Road. The time is right with the team we have there with Warren Thompson and his crew. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited more about the, the the all the athletes and people I know will become members of it, so we can take a student athlete from UVA out of the graduation system and put them in the hospitality world and give them a great career. So that's oh, the most that? important yeah. thing on the site. And probably the second most important thing, at least I'm on the outside looking in, was the fact that you'll be making and serving your mom's macaroni and cheese recipe. <laughs> yeah, we we are going to serve a couple of dishes of Sarah Sampson. So I mac and cheese it. is one of the favorite. Corn pudding is another favorite. We got to get the chef together and make sure they understand <laughs> how to make it. Bring her over to 
Charlottesville or whatever. They have to go to her kitchen. I, we'll have to figure that out. But all right, uh, it will be it will be on the menu for sure. Okay, we'll hold our uh, New Year's resolutions till next week. Okay. All right, we'll do that for sure. That'll be uh, good. For Ralph Sampson, I'm Mac McDonald. Our three gifts to you, and we thank you so much for being a part of Center Court and the Winner's Circle Network. <laughs> You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winter Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift, empower, educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.